Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy Monday, I think is when you're hearing this. It is a fantastically hot, not that fantastic. It's humid as hell in Ohio right now on Thursday as we're recording this. Of course, by we, I mean myself and none other than Dwayne The Rock McFarland. Dwayne, we're talking Los Angeles Rams today. This is a great team. We talked AFC West last week. Now we got the NFC West. My God, man, like we got through some the AFC South divisions of the world and not saying there weren't some fun teams to talk about there, but once again, just one position group after another, one high-end fantasy relevant player after another. I love it. It's a good time. Points are fun. Yeah, I mean, the teams we're talking are hot. The weather's hot. You know, Ian, it's just, you know, it's a good day to be hot, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, looking at the Rams, man, like again, <clears throat> we talked about AFC West. Who do they get to play? They get to play the NFC West. Like, this, just like this big, uh, I don't want to say anything inappropriate here, but it's like this just big orgy of all these amazing teams and they match up against each other throughout the year. And it's just crazy. Uh, you know, I threw out a stat earlier on Twitter, 93% of the games right now. Now look, folks, things are going to change. You know, some of these game total projections, obviously as the season goes on, is going to are going to go change. But if you go look at them, like over at Superbook, pretty much what you see is when the good quarterbacks match up or the good teams match up, right? Those are when you get the 50 point, plus games that's why i only looked at those i wasn't like gonna look at the 48 and a half and all those i was just looking for the outliers that's only 12 and a half percent of all the games played this year but when you look at it 93 percent of all those scores go to uh just 12 teams and then whenever you narrow it down 56 percent of them go to the freaking nfc west and afc west over half like we talked about this yesterday so there's just another team that's in that big mix so yeah um and and man it's a team that has a ton of awesome players on it. So we love talking about this. Like, see, Dwayne, this stuff is cool to me. It's like season long. Look at all these 50 point totals. Like it's eight to 10. I did it for you, man, because just... you had a good point. You had a good point. Like we can't reverse engineer everything to week 17. Like we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. It's important. It still is part of the factor, but why not build some teams that are correlated all the way through the year? And oh, by the way, they have a lot of good players on them. And you can also, as a bonus, get those correlations in those playoff weeks. I love it. You know, if we can win week 17, that's the ultimate goal, but we might need to win a couple of the weeks before then. That's all I'm saying. And Dwayne, you did a great job showing that for all of the people. Again, pff.com for all that information. As always, we're going to go through some of the notable offseason moves, roster changes, and then get into the nitty gritty with the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end position groups. So let's start with the coaching staff. As is usually the case when a team wins the Super Bowl, all of its coordinators start to get poached. Not completely barren, but basically Sean McVay is back. You know, had a nice little, oh, I could go ahead and make all this money with Amazon. Maybe you should pay me some extra money. Situation going on briefly, but he's back. So is defensive coordinator Raheem Morris. Offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell did leave to be the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. All defensive pass game coordinator Ijiro Ivero is now a defensive coordinator in Denver. So new offensive coordinator Liam Cohen was actually the assistant wide receivers and quarterbacks coach with the Rams uh, from like 2017 to 2019, so early 2020, I believe, uh, early stages of the McVay era. Last year was the offensive coordinator at Kentucky, and, you know, not college football aficionado, but 10-3 record, 32 points per game for Kentucky, certainly one of their better seasons in recent memory, so credit to him for doing that. But it's still the Sean McVay offense. We're going to see him out there calling plays as usual and really being, I think, the engine of this offensive unit. Like, this Stafford's doing his thing, but, you know, it's still the McVay offense, and we've really seen that throughout the tenure. Dwayne, what surprised me though 
they weren't as pass happy as I thought they were, even dating back to some of the early golf days. Like just looking at non-garbage time pass play rate from 2017 to 2021, Rams have ranked 23rd, 21st, 13th, 22nd, most recently 15th. Now, the reason why they've still had such productive pass game offenses is I know early on, you know, we'd have those hilarious moments where Jared Goff would be standing there at the line of scrimmage waiting for Sean McVay to tell him exactly what to do. But th their point was like they'd sprint up to the line of scrimmage. They would, because I think the uh, quarterback's, uh, communication with the coach cuts off at like 15 seconds on the play clock. So they'd run to the line, get the play figured out, and then go from there. Like they, they've always operated with such a fast pace that even though sometimes it looks like they're stalling, I think that's just because they're at the line of scrimmage so much faster than most other teams. So from 2017 and 2021, situation neutral pace, courtesy of the fine folks at Football Outsiders, number one, number three, number three, number 12 in 2020. All those quarterback problems make sense. And then last year with Stafford, number four. Since 2017, their first in play action rate, seventh in screen rate, eighth in shift motion percentage. Dwayne, this remains one of the more fantasy-friendly offenses in the league. Thanks to that sweet, sweet pace and all the hijinks and, you know, dressing that McVay is able to put around the plays to get his guys open. Yeah. And, and the beauty of what McVay does, um, it's a huge thing. You know, Stafford's really never had this before, you know, in his career. It's all those things you talked about that he does right before the snap, the trick play looks, the motion, to just try to give the quarterback a little bit of an upper hand as to what kind of, def you know, uh, coverage, you know, the defense is in. Or are they blitzing? Just enough that they've got to think about one more thing. And then also, you know, using the play action, the other things. He was a little lower last year on play action, you know, so they've mixed things up. But we obviously we saw Stafford hitting some huge freaking plays from under center on play action last year. You know, he a lot of them almost it looked like a boot where Stafford would just wait, 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 and then just heave it like over over like once you stages. see once you see the, like Stafford wait and then crow hop like I'm expecting it to be like that old Mike Vick Gatorade commercial where like the ball just sails out of the stadium he has a bazooka man yeah for sure um you know you you talked about the you know the pace and the splits a, a couple things there you know last year we did see um the Rams fall to minus one and a half um plays per game just regulation plays we get, always get rid of overtime because folks we can't predict overtime as much as we wish that we could we can't the three-year average is 63.4 plays per game and the Rams were 1.5 below that the two years before they had ranked third and eighth 4.6 above and 2.5 above so I do wonder like you know, is there a chance that we actually get a little bit more pace back with the Rams, you know, this year? Over the last two years, or sorry, two years ago, we saw 65.9 plays a game. Last year, uh, sorry, last year was 61.9. The two years before that were 68 and 65.9. So it'd be nice, like, if we could see them back up around that 65 range. But when you're being so efficient like they are, I think that's part of what comes into the equation. The other part is, you know, just their ability to be leading more in games. You know, they led more last year than really what they had led you know, in the previous years, they led 37% of the plays by four or more. That's 10% above the NFL Ooh. average. But to your point, um, you know, if you look at them when trailing and passing 70% versus the league average, so that's trailing by four or more in close situations. So within three points, they were above the league average 66% versus 60%. But then once they get the lead passing the ball, 52% of the time versus the NFL average of 51% of the time, these are all 2021 data points. Um, so yeah, it's a situation where they like to throw the ball, you know, to get ahead. Um, but even when they're trailing, like they still will stick with the run enough because everything in the offense is all set up so that everything looks the same. You know, you hear this with the Kubiak offense, the Shanahan offense, McVay's offense is very similar. A lot of the same types of things, just you get more three wide receiver sets 
than the heavy sets and condensed things that you see with Shanahan. So there is a chance that we could see, um, you know, the pace increase, you know, for this team this year. And I think that gives some, you know, as weird as it is, as weird as it is to say, it gives everybody in the offense like a little bit of potential uncapped upside that we haven't thought about. Now, obviously, folks, we're we'll talk about Cooper Cup in a minute, but like you know, saying Cooper Cup has that upside from like what he already did did last year, like you know, it would be insane. Um, but I think overall, as an offense, we could see more plays this year. And the floor here is fantastic. Like even if we don't get that upside, we're fine. McVeigh has yet to lead a Rams offense that's finished lower than 11th in total yards 2020 when we had the worst version of Goff ever, basically, and he was also hurt. That was the only time they finished outside the top 11 scoring offenses. So full expecting this to once again be a top 10 offense in scoring and in yards. And with all those, you know, aforementioned NFC uh, West, AFC West matchups going on, expect plenty of shootouts to hopefully keep their foot on the gas as much as possible. Let's go through some of the personnel changes. Not too many to go over here. I know there are some big contract extensions and things of that nature, but for the most part, it'll be uh, the same parties out there that were on the roster last year. But running back Sonny Michelle did sign with the Dolphins in free agency. Man, 208 rush attempts and 21 receptions last year. Like, I don't think we maybe remembered quite how big of a factor he was in this offense during the second half of the season after Daryl Henderson was injured. Obviously did see Cam Akers and then Henderson come back and really take over the backfield once they were able to in the playoffs. Also, wide receiver Robert Woods traded to the Titans in return for a 2023 six-round pick. Just a great, you know, five-year career with the Rams. 5,111 total yards, 28 touchdowns, all the while working as arguably the single best blocking receiver in football. Odell Beckham Jr. remains an unrestricted free agent, but Dwayne, you brought this up, how our uh, dear friend of the podcast, Sigmund Bloom, coined the phrase, you know, the constant drumbeat throughout the offseason. From start to finish, man, it, all signs seem to continue to indicate that Odo Beckham Jr. is going to come back to the Rams. Now, having suffered that February ACL tear, it's a question of when he's going to be there. But that Girl Scout's going to saunter on up to the door. I do think OBJ will once again, you know, have a ram horn on his helmet in 2022. But if not, they're probably going to be okay because they signed Allen Robinson to a three-year, $46.5 million deal. $30 million of that is guaranteed. Yes, A-Rob turned 29 in August, coming off easily the worst season of his career, but we'll talk a little bit more later about why, you know, he shouldn't exactly be blamed fully for that. And finally, blocking tight end Johnny Munt signed with the Vikings in free agency to continue to work with ex-Rams OC Kevin O'Connell. Only skill position player added in the draft was Notre Dame running back Kyron Williams in the fifth round. Unfortunately, already suffered a broken foot in the offseason. Obviously, the fancy track record of players not selected inside the top three rounds is not good. Not expecting too much from Kyron Williams this year other than potentially a rotational role on pass down. So, Dwayne, out of all these signings, man, I say the there are some decent takeaways because the wide receiver sh shuffling basically is showing us pretty clearly it's going to be Cup, Robinson, and Van Jefferson and three wide receivers, probably Jefferson. It's going to be Cup and Allen Robinson at the top of the pecking order and then losing Sony Michelle and really not making any sort of moves in free agency or the draft to add extra competition it's cam Akers and daryl henderson right now at the top of the depth chart and you know three months ago when we were talking about this i think we if we would have told ourselves three months ago talking about this backfield they were not going to add really anyone of substance i think that would have surprised us yeah um you know and especially even not just bringing sony michelle back you know i think you know that's right. something that we were just kind of being open to 
Um, you know, so yeah, I think those are the appropriate things to look at. We've really got a chance, you know, for this um, backfield. It just isolates down to Acres and Henderson. Um, even if Kieran Williams was healthy, right? He's not going to be the guy that's going to take over a lot of the early down work. He might be able to poach, you know, some of the passing down work. He's still supposed to be able to play, but you know, when rookies miss time like this, it can it can set them up. It can set them back, especially if you're trying to learn, you know, the you know all the passing concepts, you know, the hot routes, you know, the blitz pickups, all that kind of stuff. We've seen rookies struggle with those things in the past not saying that Kieran won't you know overcome that and be able to find some sort of a role in the offense but I do think it's pretty consolidated but I do think the biggest thing is you know moving away from Robert Woods and immediately you know getting Allen Robinson and I think that just says a lot because they like Robert Woods you know I mean this is a team that really loved Robert Woods now this is a team that takes good care of their players and but they will just immediately move on you know we've heard we you know sean mcveigh used to talk about how much he loved brandon cooks right and then he moved on from brandon cooks so um to me though it's a statement i think they believe that alan robinson is an upgrade over what they have with over what they had with robert woods and we saw some nice years from robert woods so yeah i think those are the key things to be thinking about you know as we jump into you know the different positions and potentially what they how they might project it's a good point, man. Like he moved on from Todd Gurley in the midst of freaking 2018 when Gurley had 21 regular season touchdowns. They're in the playoffs and he was active, man. I'm sure Cowboys fans remember Todd Gurley and CJ Anderson going for well over 100 yards. Oh. I remember I remember after that game too, it was one of these things where, uh, shout out Next Gen Stats. I remember they had a stat showing like Todd Gurley had more runs against the Cowboys where he hit like 20 miles per hour or whatever than like he had at any point all season. And what happened the next two weeks? He basically worked right alongside, if not behind, C.J. Anderson. So, yes, we've seen Sean McVay give some of the most fantasy-friendly workloads out to, like, wide receiver. We had the stretch of Tyler Higbee for a bit, like Todd Gurley, C.J. Anderson, all these guys. But he's also been really quick to change that over the years. So we will keep that in mind as we go through these positions. But, Dwayne, let's start off with the reigning Super Bowl champion himself. Matthew Stafford really just completely changed the entire, you know, his entire legacy, if you will, in one season, you know, going from a guy that didn't even have a playoff game to someone that just had a pretty much perfect, not perfect, but a pretty freaking awesome playoff stretch there. You can talk about the dropped interception against the 49ers. How about talk about Ben Skronik dropping a touchdown against the 49ers and what that happened with like nine minutes left in the game. Like just all the like people we're all wrong in every facet of life. We're going to be wrong. Like it's okay. But just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you need to spend a long really long ass time making that same mistake like Stafford came to LA he balled the hell out he won a Super Bowl like it's it's very reasonable plenty of smart people did not think it was going to happen but it did so chill out like the revisionist history still trying to go on with Matthew Stafford is crazy with me and there were some low moments moments particularly in the regular season if you look at him among among 44 quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks ninth in PFF passing grade seventh in QB rating ninth in big time throw rate 31st in turnover worthy play rate Third and yards per attempt, 17th and adjusted completion rate. So, yeah, there were a few games in there, that Titans game in particular, where it was like, my God, like maybe this is just still Detroit Lions Stafford dressed up uh, in a better-looking uniform. But I think the big moral of the story, Dwayne, was we really did see him elevate himself to a low-end QB1 just from throwing the hell out of the football. Only 11 quarterbacks averaged at least 20 fantasy points per game last season. Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burrow, and Matthew Stafford. Rams have the PFS 11th ranked offensive line going in 2022. We talked about the weapons being good. We talked about having eight games projected for 50 or more points. Dwayne Stafford's my QB 13 right behind Aaron Rodgers ahead of Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr. I feel like 
we need to keep an eye a little bit on that. He's, they're not even calling it a surgery. It was an off-season procedure. He got like a shot and his elbow is supposed to help him long-term. Keep an eye on that. But he's going to be 34 in week one. That's very reasonable at the quarterback position. We said all those things already about this offensive environment. I don't think there's much of a much of a concern here about Stafford having this like dropout terrible season. Albeit, I don't know if he has true top five overall upside. How do you feel about that QB thirteen ranking? Uh, I moved him a- ahead of Aaron Rodgers just because, Ooh. like Aaron Rodgers has Alan Lazard, Sammy Watkins, Randall Cobb, Christian Watson, like uh, Robert Tunyon. Like, You're not I mean, wrong. It's just listen it's to just, yourself. It's scary to say, but you said, yeah, I know, but we've seen Aaron Rodgers beat. We've seen Aaron Rodgers here before we've seen Aaron Rodgers with banged up teams finishing as you know, we've seen him finish outside the top 12 QBs. So for me, I just, I like Aaron Rodgers better as a player, but there, if he just had even one good receiver that we knew for sure that he had, right. That he could lean on. There's a lot of ways the Packers offense could go this year. And Aaron Rodgers is still probably he'll play well, but how much can the you know supporting staff, you know, how much, the cast, right? How much can they really support him towards any kind of upside ceiling, you know, in our projections that that's the trouble for me with Aaron Rodgers. Like, yeah, he might finish his QB 10, but I, I'm just, this is not a year where I think Aaron Rodgers, all of a sudden you're, we're going to look up and be like, Oh my God, look, he's QB three. You know, right. and I'm not saying we are with Stafford either, but I would give him more of a chance because he's got Cooper cups, got Allen Robinson. Uh, Tyler Higby is better than Robert Tunyon. Um, I mean, I think, I think, Across the board, I mean, I don't actually. I think basically any Rams receiver that went to the Packers right now would be a starter. Okay, like fine. Van Jefferson. I'm sold, Dwayne. We're going to Stafford <laughs> over Rogers. Like we're uh, going to be that podcast now. Thanks. <laughs> All right. What yeah, about? So, hey, hold on, real quick. What about? Because I hear you there. We're talking Stafford Rogers. What about when we start looking at Stafford versus Trey Lance, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson's of the world? Even like the Burrow, Tom Brady. Like now. For talking QB 12, I think that's a pretty good spot. Again, he was QB 11 last year, fantasy points per game. But does he have that top, top case outcome? We said it yesterday when we were talking through the Broncos about how Russell Wilson, if everything goes right, he could legit finish like QB 3. Do you think that's potentially there for Stafford? Yeah, so what I've done with my ranks, and I've been jotting down notes over like the last three days as I've been going back through them, and I'm going to go in and do a bunch of updates on Friday. Um I had actually to redo my quarterback tier um, where I'll have Trey Lance at QB 11 and then really a tier with Stafford, Rogers, Carr and cousins all together. (laughs) You know, I really feel like they're all just kind of in a tier together. Now, any one of them could jump up and finish up above Dak, Russ, like even some of them could compete with a guy like Joe Burrow. Like that's all in the range of outcomes. We've talked about Derek Carr and Kirk cousins really being the arbitrage plays you know, on Tom Brady and Joe Burrow. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel the same way about Stafford, you know, um, and, and Rogers, as much as you may not have, you know, the weapons, it's, it's hard for me to push him down really any further than that, you know, yeah. just because he is Aaron Rodgers. So that would be the tier, but I would have Trey Lance above them. So what, what what's going to happen is it'll be Brady Burrow, uh, Russ Wilson. Um, then I have Dak Prescott. And then it's a little mini tier of like this huge freaking upside of Trey Lance. And then back to, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Justin, well, Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, uh, Kirk Cousins, and uh, then one more upside play, Justin Fields. Um, and man, I don't even, I know this isn't the Deshaun Watson podcast, but like Jesus, like I don't know what to do. I, I, I know. Yeah, you just keep I just, moving I, I, down. 
<laughs> I know that's what I keep doing. Uh, you know, I don't know what for sure to think about all the stuff that's going on, like setting aside, like, you know, what he did, but just like, what is it legally all going to mean? I don't know, but I'm with you. I just keep moving him down. Um, and I've got Deshaun Watson, like a spot below Justin Fields at this point. I understand if people just don't want to draft bad I get that, it too. People that they perceive to be bad. If you just want to do that, that's fine. Um, I, I it's supposed to make you happy, right? Playing right, fantasy exactly. football, like we do it to win. We do it to, you know, a lot of us are trying to win money and other things too. But at the end of the day, like you want it to bring you some freaking form of joy. Yeah. So like do, do whatever that means for you. Yeah, exactly. Go for it. I easily ignore the off the field stuff, regardless of position and just try to pick the best Me player. Too. But again, not something I'm going to make a big stand on with Justin Fields. I wonder, Dwayne, I like the tiers too, but like to me, I think Fields should go above Cousins and Carr, below Rodgers and Stafford. They're they're all close. It's Dude, weird. I think it's when weird. it started, I had him and Lance together. Sorry. Right. But we don't want to go that high. And I understand why. <laughs> but then it's like, okay, Stafford, Rodgers, Cousins, Carr, they for sure fit together good. I'd even say we could put Jameis at the bottom of that tier potentially if we wanted to be a little more optimistic uh, about what he can do this year. With Fields though, man, I just – I wouldn't put Jameis just because, you know, I don't think he's done it consistently enough to be in that tier with those guys, you know. But on an opt optimistic range of outcomes, like of the spectrum, yes, that's the tier he would jump into. I would agree with that. Okay, so this is not a Chicago Bears podcast, so we don't need to go into the whole thing with Justin Fields. <laughs> is it, but... or is it a Saints podcast, <laughs> or is it you know Matthew Stafford? So he's our QB twelve. We're on the same page. Uh, yeah, yes, okay. QB twelve. Matthew Stafford, QB 12. Guys, can we get a better backup quarterback than John Walford? I feel like they've just been ignoring this uh, throughout really the entire McVay era. Just some of the guys we've seen back up golf and Stafford over the years. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Walford's had a, okay, maybe a good half here and there, but I just, Stafford goes down all of a sudden uh, this team. I don't know if they're going to be Seahawks level bad, but like if there is ever a team that's been, you know, built to be stars and scrubs, it really is this Rams team. And uh, if you lose a star, we'll be in a lot more than I think, and maybe somewhere else. So anyway, let's talk some running backs now. Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, Kyron Williams, and Jake Fark. That, that's the running back room right now. And we got Williams out with a broken foot. And surprise, surprise, Daryl Henderson is dealing with a soft tissue injury at the moment. So Cam Akers, what are we expecting here, Dwayne? I don't, overly care about the lack of efficiency in the playoffs if you look at the teams he played other than the Bengals, those are all top 10 run defenses the cardinals the bucks the 49ers it was rough go ahead and the whole team was bad it's not like it was just yeah. cam Akers. like the, no one was rushing well in the playoffs exactly so that was not good i'm more concerned about the change in usage throughout the playoffs because we saw Akers come back in week 18 just got him a few touches it was like hey you're back it was a great story Cardinals game comes around and they use him in the rotation. He looks really good. Like that first Cardinals game, he caught that long pass from OBJ. He was making some plays in the receiving game. I know they don't show up in his yards per carry, but he looked, that was his best game. That second Cardinals game in the playoffs, Buccaneers game rough fumbled, I believe twice in that, but he had like an 80% plus snap rate. After that, he went down, actually worked behind Sony Michelle in the NFC championship game. Comes back in the Super Bowl, though. He played 37 snaps, 13 carries, four targets. Daryl Henderson, 21 snaps, four carries, and five targets. Sony Michelle, mostly on the back burner with just seven snaps. So, Dwayne, I don't think we're going to see Akers get this Todd Gurley role, even like the 2021 Daryl Henderson, Sony Michelle role. Like, these guys were not leaving the field. Like, 
beginning of the season, it was Daryl Henderson that McVay was trusting. And after he got hurt, it was Sony Michelle. And like we legit saw Sony Michelle have some 100 snap games. If you look at Henderson in weeks one through 12, he was the RB11 in expected PPR points per game. Sony Michelle in weeks 13 through 18 was the RB3 in expected fantasy points per game. Todd Gurley, CJ Anderson, um, Malcolm Brown for stretches, man. Whoever has been the RB1 in Los Angeles, McVay has given them just this featured role time and time again. Now, earlier in the offseason, when I saw Cam Akers going like a top 12 running back, I pushed back against that because my thought was these guys keep getting hurt. Like he already started to move towards the committee a little bit in the Super Bowl. But Dwayne, here we are in June. They haven't added anyone. Now, maybe they do go out and trade and they add a veteran at some point. But like other than Kareem Hunt, which holy shit, he'd be a perfect fit in this offense. Probably any offense because he's Kareem Hunt. But barring that, it sure looks like Cam Akers is going to be the lead back. And if he's going to be the lead back, I think it's going to be at least 60% of the action with the chance that it's 90% or more, man. And now all of a sudden he's going in round four. And if we can get someone that's going to be on the field for 90% of the snaps, that's a legit RB1. Like we could come back for our usual Sunday night meeting podcast, whatever you want to call it. I guess podcast is the right term for it. Our Sunday night podcast. <laughs> Sunday be, night meeting. That's yeah. what we're going to call it now. We Sunday could be sitting meeting. here. I think the Rams might actually play on Thursday night, but either way. We could be sitting here in week one looking at Cam Akers' usage and be ranking him as a top five running back as early as week two. That's his best case scenario. I don't know that his worst case scenario is worse than like a committee back. I don't know that Daryl Henderson is necessarily going to beat him fully out. I guess that is a range of options, but we say, Dwayne, we're playing for the upside first or last, baby. Cam Akers round four. I am much more willing to potentially mess around with that as opposed to using this first or second round pick like it was looking like we were going to have to earlier in the offseason. Yeah. So with acres, like I think the real key um, ends up being, you know, just <clears throat> can he return to form, you know? Um, and it's hard for us to know for sure, because last year he came back so early. It's like, how do you even judge him for that? Like, to me, that's just the positive. The dude came back and tried to play, you know, after, you know, rupturing an Achilles tendon in the preseason. He can still you know, like put back. on a football uniform. Now that's all we needed to see. Yeah, exactly. So to me, that's only a positive thing in my mind around Cam Akers. But having said that, like his really his talent profile, even the year before was, you know, subpar missed tackles force per attempt below the league average uh, by three percentage points, you know, league average 17%. He was at 14% yards after contact below the league average 2.93 NFL average 2.8 for Cam Akers, um, you know, and then the explosive play rate just really hasn't been there only eight zero percent last year. We're not going to count that against him, you know, coming back from the injury, but the year before, even as a rookie, like of a fresh young rookie, eight percent. The league average is ten and a half percent. And we say explosive uh, rushing attempts, that is carries of 10 yards or more. So that's the part that's concerning. It, it just feels like a very bland profile. Um, and we're really just counting on the volume. Having said that, you have to tier these guys different, right? So the big poster child of what dead zone running backs look like, um, you know, is Mike Davis. But Mike Davis played on the Falcons. <laughs> you know, Cam Akers plays on the Rams. And so that's the difference. Um, you know, and you can have a guy. To be fair, to be fair, because I always hear people say Mike Davis is why you can't follow available carries. And yeah, he busted. Uh, the other running back in Atlanta ended up being pretty damn good last year. And my guy Cordero Patterson, like, yeah, we messed up on Mike Davis, but there was still a pathway to value in that offense because of all the opportunity, even as bad as they were. Yeah, true. Um, but talent won out is the point, you know, your boy yeah. Cordero, ah. because he's the talented dude. So my question is how talented is acres? Well, here's the, here's the other thing that I think is a plus for him. I think we've seen enough of Daryl Henderson 
to really know that, you know, he's fine. You know, he's a fine player, but, you know, is Daryl Henderson really this uber talent player either? I don't think so. Do you? I mean, looking at his stuff, you know, he's like his now what I will give him his explosive play rate is much better than acres, 10%, 14%, 13%. But then when you look at his missed tackles force, it's just gone down 26% to 16% to 13% yards after contact down every year, three, seven, two, seven, two, five. Um, you know, he's a guy that's definitely just shot out of a cannon. Like it's like, you know, to me, like if you've got Daryl Henderson out there, just freaking run gap plays. Don't even mess around with no damn zone. Like that guy, like he just bursts through the hole. Like that's his best asset is like linebacker takes a wrong step and he just can erase the angle and just like, you know, be on a 30 yard sprint. Um, but he's also a player that's been hurt a lot. So I'm with you. I don't, I don't think that acres will be 90%. I think they will split it up between, you know, these two players. Most of the time when we've really seen one take over for the other, it's like we've had one get injured and it opens the door for the other. And my concern is, is that that happens this year. We start off, oh, it's acres. And then for three weeks, oh, it's Daryl Henderson. And then, you know, it's back to acres. You know, I think that that's in the range of outcomes. But overall, yes, I think acres in the fourth, if it's what someone, you know, really wants to do, go ahead. And the other thing is, man, again, back to the schedule. Um, it's a good team, and we've got the Rams. They play eight games this year right now that are projected for 50-plus points. And look, I don't think any of these are going to change unless the quarterback get hurt. gets hurt. They get Buffalo. They get the Cardinals. They get the Cowboys. They get the Bucks, Dude, they get the Bills and the Bucks when they're not even part of their non-division opponents, <laughs> um, like, which is just, you know, nuts. Um, no, well, they did get the they did get the NFC South, so sorry, but Tampa Bay happens to be in there. Uh, and then you get the Cardinals again. You get the Chiefs in Week 12. You get Green Bay in Week 15. And then you get the Chargers in Week 17. So it's like, I don't know, man. And then mixed in there, you still get to play. Uh, you're going to play the Broncos. I mean, not the Broncos. You're going to play the 49ers, who are another good offense twice. You're going to play – there's a, there's another good matchup that they got. I don't even remember what it was. But, like, they have a ton of good matchups where they're going to have to keep scoring points. So if we could, we, Dwayne, we know they're not going to go away from running the ball. They're going to run. So go ahead. What were you saying? If we could take our favorite running back in the league, so in my case, Coyero Patterson or Duke Johnson, and guarantee them the starting role in one offense, wouldn't it be the Rams? Oh, man, it's in the, it's one of the top ones for sure, man. Like it just is. Lo- looking at the running backs in the league, I, pu- I tried to quickly run through the teams. Like the guys that just have a chance, a chance to play 90% or more of the snaps. Not saying it will happen, but a chance. Najee Harris, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, James Conner, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, maybe Travis Etienne, and maybe Cam Akers. Like Cam Akers is the cheapest running back available right now that has overall RB1 usage upside i don't i agree with you i don't think he's quite good enough to maybe beat out jonathan taylor even with like a bunch of touches and stuff but there's a reason why i had him ranked incorrectly over jonathan taylor last year and it's because of this damn workload man yeah so i think here's the thing and and we've covered it all we've just talked through it all uh i think there's a wide range of outcomes for cam Akers, but i think what you're getting in the fourth round He's still young enough. He's going into year three. I, I mean, I have doubts about his profile, but at the same time, I have to also give him a benefit of the doubt that he played hurt last year, yep. right? And so all we have is one data point of a rookie season, and you can't necessarily just hold that way against the player. Like Cam Akers could come out and play a lot better this season. That's also in his range of outcomes. Um, so for me, unlike some players where when they profile the way he does, I'll just go ahead and avoid them. He plays in the Rams offense and he's still young enough that I want exposure. And we've talked about the schedule, all the points they're going to have to score. Like it's just, 
I agree with you that you we could he's one that I don't mind saying we could look up, you know, and you know, we're at week whatever 15, and we're like, wow, Cam Akers already has 15 rushing touchdowns. Yeah. Like he's in an offense that can support it. So and we could be um, looking back and like, wow, why did we not take the workhorse RB1 on the Rams in round four when we had the chance to? I had him like RB20, I think, going into the article. I bumped him up to RB16. I think we should take him one spot ahead of Travis Etienne. I would take him ahead of Brees Hall, Ezekiel Elliott, David Montgomery. I still take guys like Alvin Kamara, even with the suspension stuff looming, there's a chance it just gets pushed back. And like, we'll be ranking Alvin over Akers once he's ready to go. Nick Chubb, Javante Williams, Joe Mixon, I'm taking those guys over Cam Akers. How's that kind of spot for him sound right? right now he's going off the board as RB18 on underdog. So I'm two spots ahead of that, which I'm fine with. I've got him ranked 18. Okay. Um, so, so right at right that. Yeah, I I, st- I have ETN one spot ahead just because, man. So here's what I would say: in a standard league, you want to take Acres first. I think it's fine. Yeah. Um, in a PPR, man, it's really hard for me to pass Travis ETN just because, like, I just have these dreams of like 100 receptions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that 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 alpha kind of not necessarily getting you know 80 percent you know of the touches on the ground but but he could really turn into that cmc type of role you know uh, even what we saw from deandre swift last year and that was the comp that you used on etn the other day which i thought was perfect um so i've got etn and Brees hall right above him but at the same time i don't have any issue with acres i might you know, I honestly, I thought about moving Acres just below James Conner and just saying, what's the difference between James Conner and, and Cam Acres? I don't know that there's much of one, you know, yeah. um, you know, is my thought. And so I have I have Conner and Chubb, then Brees Hall or then ETN, then Brees Hall. And then I have Acres. It's almost like does Acres just really fit up there, you know, w- just under Nick Chubb. Right. And then it's Brees Hall and ETN. Like, I think you can make an argument for that, but we're close. We're really in the same range. That Acres ETN Hall tier is just guys that we don't quite know what we're getting, but the upside is certainly there. And I'm fine, you know, going for them over guys like Zeke, Montgomery, Dobbins, Mitchell, guys I'm a little more confident we know who they are. A lot of good things for Cam Akers. I think we need to echo those for Daryl Henderson. Now, we talked a lot about him already on our uh, Q&A pod. Appreciate you guys sending those questions in again. We'll definitely try to knock out more of those as the summer goes on. But for me, man, Daryl Henderson, He we talked about Melvin Gordon and Michael Carter. He's kind of that guy too. Like there is a good chance that Henderson can give us, I don't know, 10 to 12 combined carries and targets per game. Flex in a great offense that you don't love, but you can put him there on a bye week if needed. And if something happens to Cam Akers, we do have evidence that McVay will give Henderson this massive workload. Again, when Henderson was the starting running back for the Rams weeks 1 through 12 last year, he was the RB15 in PPR points per game and the RB11 in expected PPR points per game. Those numbers have room to move up as well, particularly if we see them. Man, like some of the receiving usage he was getting down the field in the Super Bowl and throughout the season, like I'm not saying he's Austin Eckler, but he has a higher ceiling as a uh, pass catcher than I think maybe we're getting him credit for. Well, we gave him a 46.6 PFF receiving grade. So well, his usage. Maybe I got to go back and watch the film. But no, his 65% routes per drop back in games where he played at least 10% of the snaps. And I put that rule in just to get rid of games where players don't play. You know, yeah. I mean, that's just part of like the way when I run my algorithm, Ian, um, <laughs> when I'm, when I'm scraping the data. Slash copy paste the data. <laughs> yeah, but Daryl Henderson, I mean, 65%, you know, of the routes. So to your point, like, they've shown a willingness to really get him involved in the passing game. And honestly, that's the other scary part of, of acres is we could see a backfield that splits out in a way that we're not thinking, which is, Hey, Cam, you get the early network. Hey, Daryl Henderson, 
you're going to get all the you, you get the two minute offense and you get the long bound and distance and that's something that we've seen before so that that is in the range of outcomes but but again i don't mind so much players that are early down backs um you know when they're young and they're in really good offenses like they're not optimal they're not right um but again it's a long season daryl henderson gets hurt and all of a sudden if that is the case it could, we're you know we're we're having our meeting after week one and we <laughs> we talk about you know daryl henderson's the passing down back well by week three, it could be different. You know, if Daryl Henderson gets dinged up, Cam Akers gets everything. That's the one thing we have seen, you know, over the last year. We saw uh, two different backs, well, really three different backs last year over the course of the season, basically just get to take the whole thing over. So um, if one thing we know for sure is if anything happens to either Daryl Henderson or Cam Akers, like the other one's going to definitely have value in the offense. Okay, I'm not completely crazy. Henderson has a sixth, had last year, including playoffs, had the sixth, highest average target depth among 69 qualified running backs right there actually uh ahead of half yard ahead of christian mccaffrey 2.4 yards downfield man that's pretty good uh for a running back again yes, they were willing to throw him those wheels now whether he was making and it's typically sticky um yeah. whenever you look at the backs that work down the field typically they do it year after year and it's because they really are mismatch type players which was the story on henderson when he came out of college, right? It was not just that he was this great slashing runner, which he was, um, you know, whenever you put him behind a gap scheme, but also that he could run those bullet routes. He could run those Texas angle routes, Ian. You know, he could run the out and ups, all that kind of stuff. It's all in his wheelhouse. So, yeah, I agree. I almost think, if anything, if it is going to be rotation, I could see it going more like Javante Melvin. Like, hey, when you're on the field, you're going to do whatever. When you're on the it field, it could. I think it could do that whatever. too. Yes. Last year, now maybe it's his coach speak. I know Sean McVay is a positive guy, but last year, talking about Cam Akers, he said he's obviously a great runner, but he's got the ability as a pass catcher coming from the backfield, and we can displace him and put him in the slot or the outside receiver locations. They really did, you know, presumably had big plans for Akers last year. Unfortunately, with that injury, it's tough to know, you know, if they're still going to have those same features. Uh, per fans, points dr edward porus he had a nice thread on some of these guys and we will be getting him on this podcast ada was 5.3 very limited but we don't have a lot of snaps um it's probably really just thrown off though because i'm looking at his game log this is for acres okay <laughs> a two a 27 <laughs> then that a was three. that was the beckham <laughs> pass that was the yes that was yeah minus 3.7 minus one and then the average so the 5.3 average just forget i ever said anything folks Okay, so last point here from Evan Porce, Dr. Evan Porce. This was his uh, little quote on Cam Akers, basically. Akers' comeback in such a quick period of time was by no means something to shrug off, but his playoff efficiency numbers further illustrate the stark difference between return to play and return to perform. Even the most ardent Akers supporters must acknowledge that although there's no historical precedent that he can't return to elite stardom, there's certainly no data to support that he will. In fact, all return to performance data post-off Achilles is bleak to say the least. Drafting Akers with the hopes he'll reach top 12 status is more of a gamble than playing the probabilities. And I feel like that's what we just talked through, Dwayne. No, I would not draft Akers as a top 12 running back, but he still has that in his range of outcomes, particularly the way the depth chart is setting up. And when we can get him really closer to his floor, which I heard uh, another fantasy point star, Graham Barfield, point out, like he really is being priced closer to his floor just relative to that ceiling, which is a legit top five running back. Yeah. And I, again, what do we always talk about? It's everything is all relative to the ADP. You know, your sure. thing is, hey, we don't hate the player, we hate the ADP. Uh, and in this case, in this case, I think the ADP is reasonable. And again, we've talked about this multiple times. As much as we love receivers, um, and you know, we know that there can be value in the mid round with receivers. Like, there's this 
group, right, that just have terrible quarterbacks. Now, could one of them get Jimmy Garoppolo? Could one of them get Baker Mayfield? Sure. Um, and so if you're drafting a ton right now and you want to take a risk, you know, well, I'm just going to go ahead and take DJ Moore. I'm going to take whoever, um, you know, DK Metcalf, because I think there's going to be a trade, right, to get them a better quarterback. I mean, I think that's fine. But at the end of the day, if if Jimmy Garoppolo gets traded to either one of those teams, I'll just pay the freaking third or second round pick it costs to get that receiver when he has the quarterback. Like I just, you know, I don't know. Yeah. You could squeeze a little bit of value out, but my point being is that like acres going is going in the range with those guys. And, and those players are better than acres at their position, but their situation is just really bad. Acres also reportedly has been at the Rams facility at 8 a.m. Every day this offseason. He skipped the vacation, Dwayne. Cam Akers. Who's he, who's he doing lunches with? That's a know? good question. If it's, Mc, if it's McVay, I might buy in. Hopefully not John Wolford. I'll tell you. I'll tell you that much. Hey, if they traded for Kareem Hunt, Dwayne, and McVay goes. Oh, my God. I saw that tweet. I didn't they, respond because I didn't want to make Cam Akers <laughs> mad because I like Cam Akers. Let's say they trade for Kareem. And this is a completely hypothetical scenario. They trade like a third rounder for Cam Akers and McVeigh for Kareem Hunt. And McVeigh's like, we wouldn't be trading this like if we didn't envision Kareem being our every down running back. He could be like the RB1. Dude, if 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 that happened, Cam Akers would immediately drop to like an eighth, ninth round pick. Yeah. Kareem Hunt would be pushing third round. <laughs> and then as we got more and more stories, the hype train could just like unleash. But like he would immediately move to the ETN Brees Hall range where they're and, going. And we would be hitting draft every single time. Yeah. Um, but because he's true, look, as much as, you know, we like Cam Akers appreciate, you know, what he's done. Um, it's uh, he's not on the same plane when it comes to now, again, Akers is young. We haven't got to see, you know, the full career or anything to be fair to him, but you know, cream hunt, man, top five back Ooh. in the league you know getting up there in age so it's like i would love to see him you know get an opportunity to have like an every down role but golly that he would be amazing in this offense we'll give a quick shout out to some of our sponsors underdog fantasy the best place to play fantasy football this summer and their best ball may tournament has 10 million dollars in total prize money and the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it no waivers no trades no in-season management underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year when the champion of best ball mania last year drafted in june so there's no time like the present to join underdog and take your shot at a million dollar draft plus underdog is going to double your first deposit up to hundred dollars when you sign up with the promo code pff also if you play just 10 of those dollars using promo code pff you get a free pff subscription so what are you waiting for head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the app store Play $10 with Code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. The wide receiver one from last year, Cooper Cup. Stop with the who's going to be this year's Cooper Cup. Not This is pissing me off more than like anything I see on fantasy Twitter lately. He just had the most productive fantasy season ever from a wide receiver. Okay, take out week 18, then he was second behind 1995, I believe, Jerry Rice, who had like two additional fantasy points ahead of Cooper Cup. Fine. You know, I know who 2022 Cooper Cup is, Dwayne. It's probably going to be Cooper Cup again because he's that freaking good at football and he has the most fancy friendly role in football. Only Debo Samuel and Jamar Chase have more fancy points above expectation. But man, this dude, just in terms of fancy points, the expected fancy points, he had 44 expected fancy points ahead of the next closest wide receiver. Like only Josh Allen had a bigger disparity among just the different uh, overall leaders at every position. So you look at it. 
fourth triple crown winner of the last uh, 50 years, I believe. We had 1990 Jerry Rice, 1992 Sterling Sharp, 2005 Steve Smith, and now 2021 Cooper Cup. Again, I can just go on and on with these absurd stats that paint him as the best and most productive wide receiver in all of football at this point. Do we still put him number one, Dwayne? Because as much as I love Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, I feel like we're hoping Jefferson gets a slight, slight boom to his role to start competing with Cup. Jamar Chase seems like that's just going to be harder because of T. Higgins being there. I just think that the tiebreakers should be that Cup's in the NFC West. We're going to see more shootouts. We're more confident. I'm just more. I'm more confident in the Rams continuing to put up points and throwing the ball than I am with the Vikings. I admit that's possible. They're in the same tier, but I would take Cup over Jefferson. Why would you take Jefferson over Cup? Um, well, the big thing is, like, as much as we love Cooper Cup, I don't think he's ever going to score that many points again. You know, um, and, and I even going back and like watching all the plays, like defenses, like you might, you guys actually might want to think about covering Cooper Cup. <laughs> like, good God, like especially early in the season, um, you know, it got, you know, there wasn't as much of it, you know, late in the season, but a lot of easy touchdowns, a lot of easy big throws. Now, again, part of that is McVay, part of that Stafford, part of that is Cooper Cup being good enough to, you know, read coverages, know how to manipulate defenses, and you know the different route combos they've got. So, I don't want to take any of those things away. But I think he and Justin Jefferson will end up being really close. And at the end of the day, if someone wants to take Cooper Cup over Justin Jefferson, they can. I'm just looking at Jefferson having two elite seasons, you know, as a young player, um, only 23.2 years old going into the season. You know, uh, I mean, he's just stacking up huge things. So, I mean, I, I still want Justin Jefferson as my wide receiver one. Now, saying that, um, you know, whenever I drafted from the two hole and the hard way draft a couple of weeks ago over on football guy over on FFPC, um, I actually took Cooper Cup at the two um, because of what you talked about with the um, with the schedule. And so, like, I, you know, and you can easily come back from that spot and not have to reach for all these stacks. But just because you can get the AFC, NFC West thing, man, like it's easy. You can just sit there and be like, OK, and I did it. I was like, OK, Debo Samuel. OK, Javante Williams. Okay, Mike Williams. Twist, <laughs> you know, twist you my arm, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so easy. And and the schedules correlate across all those guys. So you're going to get all, you're going to get these crazy insane boom matchups. Um, and, and that was the tiebreaker for me there. So look, really, I have them in the same tier. I'm going to mix them up. I do believe in putting Justin Jefferson first just because what he's done in the first two years of his career is like, you know, it's pretty elite. Like it's really rare to see a player do what he's done. So I think, you know, he's going to be the reigning number one for a while. Jamar Chase will, you know, eventually challenge him. Maybe CD Lamb will have something to say about it. Stefan Diggs, we love you too. Um, so just thinking through all of those things, I, I have Jefferson one, but again, I've already taken cup, you know, at the two before with Justin Jefferson on the board. So I would never argue with anyone that says it. Uh, you brought up a good point where, look, we're in a ton of leagues, Dwayne, but for some of our listeners that are just in one league, we were previewing the Panthers. We did say that Christian McCaffrey would be our number two overall pick if we are in only one football league. Would you still agree with that over Cup and or Jefferson? If I Yeah, so for me, that's how I have Jefferson ranked number one, is if I only got to do one team, me personally, mm -hmm. I would take Justin Jefferson. But if I'm getting to mix it up and I'm getting to do different things, I'm going to mix you know all three of these guys in. Um, and again, it's just because the profile that we've seen with Jefferson being so elite over the first two years, I consider that just as strong of a data point as what we saw from Cup in his huge season last year. And here's the thing, folks. Remember, Cooper Cup has already been a wide receiver four before. When I say wide receiver four, not tier four, the number four wide receiver. I think that was two years ago, Ian, that he was wide receiver four. Sounds right. Um, so, I mean, 
he also does not have a shabby uh you know he came into the league a little bit later so that's why he you know 29.3 years old a lot of people think you know he's old which i guess 29 is old in football age but you know, it's not like he's been playing since he's 21 so um you know he does have two top five finishes already on his resume bro i remember like watching cooper cup go off earlier in, early in his career but even then man like you said last year in the first half of the season it was like how many of these touchdowns are just wide open and you know i'm sure he has something to do with that but it was hard for me to like put him with other guys that are putting up similar numbers just because of how easy it looked for times but he was starting to just go the hell off in uh, 2018 then he gets hurt uh, about halfway through the season and i think it it was during 2018 right before he got hurt he had that play against the saints where he had like a 60 or 70 yard touchdown he broke like five tackles along the way and i was like oh okay we are not talking about a product of the system we're talking about an absolute baller wide receiver right now so obviously the other uh, thing to remember i think is receivers are also more than just what shows up on the field like flashy plays like you know this like being a defensive player um like a lot of it's cerebral like you've got to be able to do all the athletic stuff but to to have a mind meld with your quarterback where they completely and 100 without a doubt trust you to be the guy in a situation that they're gonna go to they're gonna buy that extra second because they know my guy cooper cup's coming open i know he's gonna manipulate this db this way he's gonna give me the signal and i know his body language and i'm going to him stafford does it all the time with him man if you go watch the film on it like there's stafford just stares at him half the time you know uh, i mean you know this is first read without looking away this is like okay i'm watching cooper go ahead do your thing cooper i'm waiting wait okay here we go boom just throw it you know and it doesn't it doesn't matter because like they're just like they're perfect not not to say that's what stafford does every time right obviously stafford does the no looker and looks away reads other places comes back to cup um but yeah i, I think you know when you look at a player like cooper cup the biggest thing that concerns you is a jump from a 21 his best adjusted target share meaning getting rid of games he hadn't played in his career was 21 percent. he jumped to 31 percent last year like that's like freaking rare uh to see that jump so if there was anything that gave me a slight pause it's that but at the end of the day i don't care because watching those two play together and so what say that number comes down to 27 percent this year it's still going to be really freaking good in this offense with all the shootouts that we've already talked about 3.11 yards per route run like that still like blows me away 3.11 yards per route 30 percent jesus like just look at his fuck everything we're saying look at the counting numbers let's be non-fantasy people for a second yeah 191 targets 145 receptions 1947 receiving yards (laughs) 16 touchdowns and that's just in the regular season you think you're reading calvin johnson numbers right like and he just probably had the best playoff stretch that we've seen for a wide receiver since larry fitzgerald like it's just incredible man he had at least 10 targets and 17 of 21 games last season like it's just he can be a much worse player and he's not going to bust on this many targets man the one thing i would say with jefferson though too i think Thielen could lead that offense in touchdowns if they're both healthy the whole year i don't think Robinson or anyone else would take that from Cup. I like Robinson over Thielen. I, I and it's not that I think that, you know, uh Robinson's going to lead over Cup, but I like Robinson better at this point in his career than I like Thielen. But to your point like hey, there's no doubt that Thielen's got a connection with Cousins. Yeah. Um and it's not 
it's not all just luck. It's substantiated by the number of times he gets targeted in the end zone. It really did dip last year. Like it was like 19%. It, it was 50% the year before. 50% of the Vikings targets in 2020 went to Adam Thielen in the end zone. Last year it dropped to like right around 20%, which is still good. Like a really like elite receivers get 25 to 30%, you know, so he was still in the good range. Um, so I think, um, I mean, I, 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 I could probably get down with that. I, mean, I think it's, I think it's tomato, tomato. I think the two situations are pretty close. Let's talk about Mr. Allen Robinson coming off the worst season of his career by just about any metric overall, though, just for 2021, 89 wide receivers had at least 50 targets. Robinson ranked 65th in PFF receiving grade 80th in yards per route run 70th in yards per reception, even just 53rd in targets per route run. Another season with bad quarterback play. Maybe Fields turns into a superstar. He was not that as a rookie. He had some good underlying stuff, and we'll talk up Justin Fields when we get to the Bears preview. But the 2021 version of Fields was not good, and that leaves this as Robinson's quarterbacks dating back to college. Matt McGloin, Christian Hackenberg, Blake Bortles, Chad Henney, Mitch Trubisky, Chase Daniel, Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, and Justin Fields. Sheesh. Absolutely brutal. Does Robinson have another gear though? Like, or did we see him just suck and he's not good anymore? Because Darnell Mooney did put up over a thousand yards in the same situation. Dwayne, I went back, I watched every single one of his targets from last year. Just try to get an idea of it. I thought they neutered Allen Robinson, not Fields. I thought Matt Nagy just took one of the best route runners in the NFL and all of a sudden was asking him to run one five-yard curl after another. And it was the whole awkward. offense. I didn't understand it. Like, what was this offense, Matt Nagy? How many times? Fields. How many times can you run like slant flats? Like, my God, man, there Hooks, was no creativity. Curls, just... You'd see Robinson run like an intermediate dig, and it's like, yeah, there's a big play. That makes sense. Some of the early season problems you could see with Fields were like Robinson would actually break open deep, but Fields wouldn't see him for an extra second. And they'd stop running and then it'd be picked. Problems that probably happened because they weren't even practicing together because Fields wasn't on the first team until, you know, freaking midway through the season because we had to get Andy Dalton all the snaps with the first team last year. So for me, we saw some flashes, the Lions game and that Steelers game, not the stuff you'd expect from a number one receiver like Robinson, but I was seeing some stuff after the catch. He didn't look washed. That's my general point. I was, he didn't look washed. He also didn't have this you know, DJ Moore level highlight film of being wide open and being sailed. It was just like he never had a chance to even run those sorts of routes. Unfortunately, he hurts his hamstring against the Steelers. And then just coming back, he seemed that he got COVID at the end of the year. Second half of the season was pretty much a wash from the injury perspective. Are we, am I making too many excuses though, Dwayne? Because he was bad. He is getting a little bit older, 29 years old at this point. With that said, the Rams gave him $45 million. It seems like they think he's going to be just fine. And with OBJ still a free agent for now, Robinson's looking like the number two wide receiver in an offense that ranked, let's see, third in the entire NFL in targets to the wide receiver position last year. That's what's on the table. Yeah, so I, I saw similar things with Robinson. I watched him. Uh, I don't know, like a week or two ago, just because his ADP has been screaming like upward, <laughs> you know? So it's like, I had to get my arms around like, okay, what does this player look like? Um, and do we think he can be a value in the fourth round used to be able to get him in the sixth round of fantasy drafts. He's already moved two rounds. Um, so I'm actually on board. I don't want to be overweight as a fourth round pick. I, if he was still a sixth now, I would love him. Yeah. If he was a fifth, I would really like him as a fourth round. It's like, gonna mix you in dude but i do have to acknowledge there is a chance 
that it is also because Robinson is starting to decline, you know, as far as, you know, just, you know, how good of a player he is. And, you know, if it makes you feel any better, it does certainly for me. Um, you know, I actually did listen to, uh, I heard Matt Harmon on another podcast uh, today when I was out actually going for my run. And one of the topics of conversation was Alan Robinson. And he basically backed what you just said. He said when he watched him, he thought that, you know, not not to take Matt's words, you gotta go listen, you guys go check out Matt Harmon <laughs> and the reception perception. Like if you don't already have it, like what are you doing? It's yeah, it's yeah, it's it's golden. But what he what he mentioned was some of the similar stuff to you, like what's going on with the routes that he they had him running. And also he thinks that he could still beat press coverage, still can beat man coverage. And so when you can beat press, like you're unlocking a lot of different things. And again, the Rams moved on from Robert Woods and went and got this guy. No. So I think, you know, that that is enough for me to say that I'm going to want the exposure. But again, like the data kind of hound in me does kind of wonder just because he is he's getting older, you know, and we know that these cliffs can happen. Um, you know, we don't know for sure when they're going to happen and we can't always predict them. But we know that probably one of these guys out of like Thielen, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, um, you know, I'm leaving somebody else out. There's yeah, another don't put him in there. Don't say I'm, it's not Mike Evans. He's okay. in your nine. I'm talking about all these. Yeah, so it's not Mike Evans. Um, but I mean, there's these guys that you know. Eventually, one of them's going to fall off, right? And so we can't necessarily tell you which one of these guys it's going to be, but just that's the way the NFL works. Um, so, yeah, I I like him overall, but the ADP now at this point, I'm like, okay, like just I'm I'm going to be even to the field. He's easy to build with because if you like if you like, you know, good teams and you like, you know, the fact that all these teams we've talked about play each other, like he's, it makes sense like to throw him on some lineups. Um, so that, that's where I'm at on Allen Robinson. I was actually just trying to look up. So last year, because, you know, we do some of our own, um, you know, route work over here. And one of the things I like to really look at, you know, is whenever players truly are getting singled up in man coverage, we've got a team that actually does like, you know, chart all these different plays. We grade all the different plays and everything like that. And so looking at Allen Robinson and uh, like if my lights flicker behind me, it's because I'm about to sort this table <laughs> um, <laughs> and you never know what's going to happen. But I just wanted to see where Allen Robinson ranked. I like got my uh, I see where he's sitting at. So against man coverage, because Matt had me thinking about this when I heard him talk about it. I wanted to come back and check it again. But yeah, I mean, of all the receivers last year in the NFL, that had at least um, that had at least what do I have this set up? Yeah, had at least over 350 routes. Sorry, he ranks number 18 against man coverage. Okay, so great. So that's not bad. Like against single man, you know. And I like looking at that just because it's easier, honestly, against zone. Most receivers can play against zone. They have to comprehend it. They have to understand it. They have to be on the same page as their quarterback. But a veteran like him, we're not worried about that. We're not, he can do that. We know that. What we want to know is whenever the other team truly challenges him, you know, what can he do? And so he was open, which means a step or more of separation, 60.9% of the time last year. And so, like, to give you a comparison, and here's where Ian's like, Ian's like, I told you so. Keenan Allen, 66.9%. Yeah. Uh, Michael Pittman, 66.1%. Amari Cooper, like we've talked about, Amari may not have the full bag, but yeah, you want to challenge this dude one on one. And he's going to, you know, he sets up, yeah, he sets up the slant route like 27 Ooh. different ways, 66%. <laughs> AJ Brown, 64.7. So he's setting, you know, below those guys at a 60.9. Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown, right above him at 61%. Justin so, Jefferson, 62%. Like, here's the thing. When you read this list, it's a who's who of freaking wide receivers, and he's still on it. I still remember that Cooper route. Um, I think when 
it was the wasted Dak year. They were playing the Eagles, and he deked the cornerback so badly at the line of scrimmage, the dude literally fell on his ass. And, like, of course, Cooper catches the ball and gets, like, run down by a linebacker, and, like, people were making fun of that. But it was like, oh, my God, the things he can do route running. And, again, that was the big thing that we just didn't see from Allen Robinson. There'd be brief spurts. Like, I understand he doesn't have, like, the most absurd field stretching ability to necessarily challenge cornerbacks the same way he could earlier in his career. But man, like I, I looked at his, uh, I love the next gen stats charts where they uh, show like all, they show the full route and like where he caught the ball in the yards. Down. Yeah. Like that week one against the Rams. Like, I don't think he had a route like where he got targeted, like go more than five yards downfield. Like they didn't even try, man. And you could just tell defenses because then they were just sitting on the routes all game. And then when he did try to go deep, he wasn't with the chemistry fields. It just wasn't, you know, wasn't exactly set up for success. But with all that said, Dwayne, right now he's going as the wide receiver 22 over at underdog pick 47. The guys immediately in front of him are Travis Etienne, Cam Akers, and Terry McLaurin. I have a wide receiver 24. I bumped him up. I'm not ready to be overweight on him. I'm not against him in round four at the end. I'd really prefer round five. I will probably continue to take Terry McLaurin and Akers and Etienne ahead of him. Yeah, we're at the same spot. Um, I have him at 24. Um, I don't want to be overweight, but where I can get it, I will. Now, he is a player that I don't mind reaching a, f- a few picks. You know, I'm not going to reach around, but just to make sure I get some exposure to him, like I'm going to do it. But at the end and, of the and day. And if you already have Cup, like that's a nice, you should, and then stack him and Robinson and Stafford. And we're talking big. Yeah, you can easily, yeah, you can easily still get Stafford. And then, you know, just like we talked about with all the other, uh, AFC and NFC West players, and then you can throw the Bucks and Bills. Like, yeah. there's you can do so many things with Robinson where you get to stack good players that also by chance could you know happen to win you a lot of money, you know, at the end of a season. So, um, and uh, honestly, Ian, that's the other thing that is pushing him up draft boards because people are getting you know hot onto some of what's going on with these schedules just because it's all so condensed um and that's you so we've got that factor working um in robinson's favor against our favor like as far as where he's going to end up with adp but i don't think he can really climb much more from here just when you start to look at the players that are going ahead of him van jefferson profiles as a number three receiver here low-key pretty solid 50 catches 802 yards six touchdowns in his second nfl season last year he will be 26 in july all these rams receivers are on the older side man i'm not saying it's a negative just i'm always surprised to see how old these guys are once you actually uh, look into it but rams 2020 second round pick if we want to write off 2020 because you know it was a pretty bad season for everyone involved in the offense go ahead did pop off last year. And again, you start watching that Stafford tape, you're going to see Van Jefferson on the receiving end of a lot of those deep bombs downfield. Here's the question, though. I'm not positive he's going to be the wide receiver three all year. He did play 75% of the snaps in 11 of 17 regular season games and each of the final three playoff games. But there were stretches where something named Ben Scroenek was like actually working right alongside Van Jefferson. And he kind of had his issues in the playoffs, but maybe they feel good enough about to keep him going. They used a second round pick on 2-2 Atwell last season. I know people didn't like it, but the Rams chose to. He's going to be back healthy this year. I'm not like he's so cheap. I think he's going like wide receiver 64 over underdog right now. So it's tough to fully be like, no, you can't draft this guy in round 13, 14. But I just think, man, guys like KJ Hamler, Josh Palmer, KJ Osborne, I think they have better best case scenarios than Van Jefferson. Yeah. So with Jefferson, you know, I did the breakout study a couple weeks ago. Um, 
and just looking at, you know, what are the commonalities that we've seen? Obviously, the easiest thing is, hey, have you actually been a wide receiver three or a wide receiver two before in your career? And fantasy points. Fantasy points are still king when trying to predict the next year's fantasy points. Well, imagine comparing <laughs> apples to apples, what might happen. But what I wanted to figure out is what about players that when we didn't have that? And then they still broke out, meaning they had never been a wide receiver three before, and all of a sudden they were a wide receiver two. Or they had never been a wide receiver three before, and they all of a sudden were a wide receiver one. Like, So what were the things that we had seen in those profiles um, that you know maybe helped just give us a little bit of insight? Because a lot of times what happens with those kind of players, they – didn't get enough playing time, you know, they got injured. There's just different things, you know, that come in. So you're trying to look at what are some things that could maybe isolate, just help us get a better understanding of talent. And so I really used PFF receiving grade, targets per route run, and yards per route run. And here's what the data says about Van Jefferson. Um, his PFF receiving grade in his first year was a wide receiver five worthy grade. His targets per route run was also wide receiver five worthy. If you go to year two, that actually dipped down to wide receiver six for his PFF receiving grade and wide receiver six worthy four targets per route run so based on the data that i have available back to 2011 where i've got all this sort of information i could take it back to 2006 i need to like extend it but right now i have it back through 2011 my eyeballs were bleeding the night that i was putting all this data together <laughs> um, at some point you're just like 2011 is good enough <laughs> and uh so um but looking at it back to 2011 um there weren't any profiles like van jefferson that ultimately you know came on to hit now he did hit the 68.1 receiving grade as a you know a rookie so that puts him in that bucket number two um, so from that standpoint, like there were a couple guys that we see that we saw ended up hitting. So I would say like I, the way I looked at him as a breakout, I put him, look, it could happen, but it's definitely like, he's not one of my priority ads where I'm, because there's several guys that like are popping off the screen at me that I'm like, wow, like these are the guys that we should be taking in the late rounds. Van Jefferson's after those. Do you agree with the three I said, KJ Hamler, Josh Palmer, KJ Osborne, all the KJs, man. Um, well, Hamler, we don't have enough data to say. We talked about him uh, the other day. Like, I don't have enough data to like have a clear picture on him because he didn't hit any of the minimum thresholds. Um, as far as Osborne, he actually profiled kind of similar to Jefferson. They were both really similar. But what I would say about Osborne, um, I, I think they're close, but there's a chance Osborne gets to play from the slot again. You know, we don't know if it's going to be Thielen. There's been rumors that it's Justin Jefferson going to play in this. We don't know who's going to play in the slot, you know, in Minnesota. Um, but Van Jefferson, we know, is going to have to play outside. He's going to have to continue to be, you know, uh, two high looks. He's going to have to be able to be, you know, a better cornerback on on a lot of different, not always, but on some cases. Um, so I think there's a potential advantage, you know, for Osborne in that. Who's the third one that you gave me? I know Josh, Josh Palmer. Uh, Palmer. Yeah, Palmer actually does. Let me look. I'm going to just compare him real quick. Uh, like do a little dance real quick, Ian, or something. I'm going to pull up Josh Palmer. Bro, also, I'm just going to list some more wide receivers going behind him that I would take. No, they're close. They're Jahan, close. Take Jahan Dotson ahead of him. There's, there's yes. Guys. Yeah. We haven't got to that, but man, well, we did. We talked about Jahan Dotson so long ago. Like I forgot we already did the NFC East to start. That, that one's crazy. Like dude's going ADP round 13. You know, he, he goes 30 picks after Christian Watson. Come I, on. I don't Come get on. it. Like, I was talking about this on Twitter today. I, I feel like uh, him, Alec Pierce, Tyquan Thornton, Vilas Jones, it's almost like if these guys had gone later, like if they had gone around later than they did, I think the fantasy community would somehow have a Because they're getting like them. the double count against them. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like we don't like the player and the team doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> Again, I'm not 
chastising you dynasty folks or you just NFL draft nerds who pour your heart and soul into this stuff every February through April. Like, that's fine. And it's good to have as much information possible about these guys. But, man, when the team tells us how much they love this guy and it's more than you thought they did, that's a good thing for them, not a bad thing. Yeah, and I spent a lot of time, like, digging into the same stuff. Like, just so that – because I do think there's a lot of really smart people in the dynasty community. And so we want to – glean as much as we can from that and i think we really value it and honestly that's part of a lot of the work that i've done is to also try to like uh, us as pff be able to cater even more you know to the dynasty community with some of the research um you know that i've been doing but also i've just you know i've saw a lot of cool concepts and just wondered okay like is that true what what might we do with that and so to your point i think you know with Jahan dotson like when i look at it and looking you know just historically you know it what players have done and we've talked about it it's no it's not a rocket you know this isn't rocket science we don't need any kind of experiment even really most people know like if you're an early round pick the team just has a vested interest in giving you opportunities to succeed that means you get more chances to fail um so it's 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 not this isn't like huge calculus that we're trying to do it just means Jahan dotson is going to be afforded a lot of opportunities to end up being successful and He's in camp right now with Carson Wentz. You know, we've got Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin, man, like my old is ground. Like he, who knows how long this holdout's going to last. And so Dotson could be the top receiver on the team right now. Like coming out of week one, there's a chance McLaurin, McLaurin probably ends up getting in there and, you know, or they get something done. But I mean, I, I think that that's a positive thing, you know, for Dotson right now is that he's getting that early work, you know, with Wentz. Terry just draws a line at Wentz, refuses to play football again. He's like, no, I've been through <laughs> Even this though enough. it's his best quarterback ever. Even though probably, it's his best, he's, he's like, like, no, not good enough. All right, let's talk some Tyler Higby before we get out of here. Tight end room, Tyler Higby, Kendall Blanton, and Jacob Harris. What happened? I know he got hurt, so I'm not trying to throw salt in the wounds, but where are my Jacob Harris truthers at? You guys wouldn't shut the hell up all last offseason. I had people actually telling me that this guy was going to play over Tyler Higby. He's a wide receiver convert. Maybe he still has a bright future. Uh, but yeah, come on. People. It sounds like Shut a dull such Okwabunum argument. Oh my goodness. <laughs> With Tyler I Higby. I know. I love you, Twin. All right. Tyler Higby started 84 games since the Rams selected him back in the fourth round of the 2016 NFL draft. Will be 30 in January. I don't think, and to your point, Dwayne, with these late round tight ends, if you want to go ahead and throw a dart like I'll throw a dart at Alberto because you think he has the higher upside, that's fine. But where Higby is going right now just seems objectively too low. Like tight end 20 over at underdog. Last season, he finished as a tight end 13 in PPR points per game, one of just 11 tight ends with double-digit expected PPR points per game. I mean, here is the tight end leaderboard for top 12 finishes last year. Mark Andrews had 12. Travis Kelsey had 12. Dalton Schultz had 11, Zach Ertz had 10, and Tyler Higby had nine. Now, if we want to do top five, top six finishes, you're not going to see him at the top of the leaderboard the same way. But there's something to be said about having a legit, like, borderline tight end one floor for a tight end going as the tight end 20 right now. Like, no, don't make Tyler Higby your only tight end. If you're in a redraft league, you're not going to be worried about him. But he seems to be fine recovering from the sprained MCL surgery. You don't have like an ACL or Liz Frank or anything like that going on there. And just tight end 20 seems way too cheap to me, man. I bumped him down a little bit. I was probably a little overzealous, you know, with him. Again, I don't think it's as serious of, of an injury to worry about, but with that said, it still is off-season surgery, not ideal. So I bump him down to tight end 14. I would still take him ahead of guys like Robert Tunyon, David Njoku, and Gerald Everett because we know he's going to be on the field all the time. I mean, this dude played, I think it was over 90% of the snaps in 
like 11, okay, 90% snaps and 13 of 17 non-injured games. I mean, every single week, Dwayne, you had to just, uh, you know, enlighten all of us. 85% routes per drop back in those games. Is he the only guy to bust with that? Uh, no, there were a couple, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, only a handful. It seems yeah. like he's going to have I, I probably just feel burned because like, I can't tell you how many times that, you know, I went back to the well with Tyler Higby and DFS just because I'm like, look at the routes. Like he's eventually going to hit. And to your point, like he was still deep, you know, he, he did not give you the big games, right? His biggest game was a 23.5 point output, which is great. That was in week 18. Um, up till then, you know, his biggest scoring week had been 15 in week three. But other than that, he never got over, I mean, for the most part, you know, he never got, he hung around between like nine and 11 points. So, you know, you know how fantasy is. Those are the kind of people, those are the kind of players that once they do that a couple of times, people are just like, eh, nothing to see here. Like they just get bored and they move on. But to your point, like Higby is still going to be out there. Um, he is a decently talented player. And I think the other part of it is like easily like something like touchdown, you know, touchdowns, um, you could swing back for him. And if it did, like that's going to push him into the top 12, you know, so I think there are parts of his profile that definitely still look like he could be a top 12 tight end. If you want to try to find this year's Dawson Knox or the 2020 Robert Tunyon, we're looking for a player that's going to be on the field all the time has at least shown some level of competence hopefully they are in a great passing game with a great quarterback and a high scoring offense they're not a top one or even three pass game option but they're in the sort of environment that they can make the most out of 70 to 80 targets again as we say every podcast earth smith remains our favorite late round tight end but i think higby is right there in that conversation with robert tunyon with gerald everett and maybe just maybe albert O. if every all the mean things you say about greg dulcich end up coming true Dwayne. so again i have higby tight end 14 i'm taking irv ahead of him but where he's going right now i think is fine and if you do find yourself missing out on the gronks you know you don't get your kind of top 12 uh tight end that you were hoping for you need to draft three or four i think higby absolutely deserves to be one of those guys yeah, I have him at twenty, but I mean, uh, everything sure. we just talked, everything we just talked about is true. I mean, I've got Fryermuth, Knox, Gasecki, Irv Smith, uh, Komet, Fant, Henry, and Joku, Higby, you know, Everett. I've got them again. Like, it's one of the tougher tiers to navigate. Like, I, I feel like a lot of these guys are very similar. And to be honest, as much as we love doing this, and as as much work as we put into it. Um, tight ends come down to just which ones are going to catch the touchdowns. You know, if you're not the focal point kind of guy in your offense, which really none of these guys are, they're all secondary third pieces. And so for me, I'm just kind of like, well, let's go with the younger guys that could maybe still break out. And then after that, like, I think there's a big group of players. Fair enough. Again, these are the later on tight ends. I, we do yeah. encourage, we do encourage you guys to, if you're going to be doing a lot of these best balls, mix it up a little bit because when we are throwing these darts uh, at this position group, or like you, you said, when you do the stacks, yeah, stack them up. You just make sure you don't overexpose yourself to Chris Herndon and Jay Sternberger. That's just my overarching uh, advice to you all. So <laughs> Dwayne quickly recapping everything. Matthew Stafford is a top 12 quarterback for us. Maybe doesn't have the sort of rushing floor to really be vying for, you know, a top five, top six treatment, but there is a path to him maybe finishing and the top five, if he does go nuclear in an offense that, yes, somehow does still have a little more upside in terms of their pass play rate and even volume. Our running back Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, two guys that we are buying at their present value. Again, don't hate the player. Hate the ADP. And based on everything that's been going on with the Rams in this offseason, it sure looks like Cam Akers should 
McGee given the chance to be a featured back. Whether that's going to be 90% or 60% remains to be seen, but where he's going in drafts right now, we can kind of live with either of those scenarios. At wide receiver, Cooper Cup, the wide receiver one or wide receiver two with Justin Jefferson. Either way, not really a scenario where he should be making it past pick four in fantasy drafts of all shapes and sizes. Allen Robinson, someone that's a borderline wide receiver too. He's getting pricey. We don't hate it. Not against reaching on him by a few picks, but at this point, you really are drafting him at decent value. Van Jefferson, fine, but we have some other late-round wide receivers we like better. And at tight end, I'm a little higher on Tyler Higby than Dwayne. Doesn't have the massive ceiling. So if you're shooting for the massive ceiling, which I do think makes sense more times than not, maybe he's not your cup of tea. With that said, I think in the right you know roster where you are just throwing a lot of darts at tight ends, you can do worse than having one that I think, you know, if we had the probability range, Dwayne, I understand his tail and the high end outcomes isn't going to be as wide as others, but he's going to have, I think, a much. He's many got a more... really, he's yeah, he's going to have a good median or exactly. You know, yeah, the middle ground for him is is strong. Yeah, so if you need to take three tight ends that are like all outside the top 12, 15, I think mixing in a Tyler Higby there can make some sense. Does I that agree. Mean? I've that's where I've taken him. Cool. Yep, for sure. Exactly. I have exactly. him as my tight end three a few different times. Sweet. Tight end two, tight end three. And again, you are getting a player that's going to be a part of a bunch of shootouts this season. Like, so, I mean, there's a good chance like that, you know, he could score, you know, seven or eight touchdowns. And that's the path really for me. That is how, you know, Tyler Higby, you know, just kind of sets the season off. And, and again, just like what we've talked about, a lot of it for tight ends that are not the focal point comes back to touchdowns. And at least what you can say for Higby, um, you know, it's going to be shootouts nearly every week. I cannot wait for these uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time slots. Just getting AFC West, NFC West shootouts. Pound that over again and again. When you're when you're when you're playing DFS and you haven't and none of your players have even started yet. <laughs> no one from the early slate. Just gonna be absolutely <laughs> terrified if you don't have those guys rostered. Yeah. All right, Dwayne. We will be back tomorrow looking at the Arizona Cardinals. Anything you want to get off your chest before that? Uh, no, no, that's it. Um, I will have another article uh, out tomorrow. I well. This is this will be coming out Monday. So for those of you folks that will be checking, you know, you're hearing this on Monday. Uh, I'll have another article uh, that you'll have up at the site. Two things. One that just came out today, just really looking at the schedule, some things Ian and I have talked about, focusing on the 12 teams that really make up that 93% of the 50 plus point totals. And then in addition to that, also looking at something like this really easy to look at that a lot of people forget about. We talk about the talent profile. We talk about how good's the offense they play on. But one thing that I found, you know, is really looking at the routes run per drop back, like what we were just looking, what we were just talking about with Tyler Higby. When you have some of these players, so I'll kind of get, I'll give you an example, like right here off the top. You know, a lot of people that are worried about drafting CD Lamb at the beginning of the second round. Like I'm starting to kind of hear this chatter. This like, well, you know, I don't know. 116 targets is his top. And I get it. But the easiest thing like to go look at is CeeDee Lamb. You know what the his career high and routes run per drop out drop back are? 76% of the time that the Cowboys have thrown the ball, CeeDee Lamb has been out there, right? So now you've got Amari Cooper gone. You got Michael Gallup, might not play until November. You've got a rookie in Jalen Tolbert, and you've got James Washington, the maybe one receiver ever besides like Marcus Wheaton, like that didn't hit, you know, as a draft pick for the Steelers. How's he not gonna run 95% of the routes? Like the top receivers in the league run 90 to 95% of the routes. So let's say CD Lamb doesn't take a step forward at all. He's just still a 22% target per route run player. You know, his new floor just on the routes alone, based on the Cowboys' volume, you know, their projected dropbacks just used in the last two years. Like he's going to see an additional almost 20 targets just by being on the field. He doesn't even have to get better. 
he could just be like, no, I, I don't care. I'm done. I'm not getting better. <laughs> and my point being, that gives you that gives you a new foundation, right? That gives you a better floor. And it's also the new foundation for if he does take a step forward, then what does it look like? And so if all of a sudden his targets per route run jump 2%, but he's on the field 95% of the time, what does his upward range of uh, targets look like? So I'm going to break down the top 10 guys that I found in across running backs, receivers, and tight ends that if their routes improve the way we think they're going to, based on the fact what we've seen with their targets per route run, like what does that mean their new median outcome is? And what does that mean for their ceiling? Brilliant stuff as always. And maybe CD grows another half inch this offseason. Maybe he's going to be like <laughs> six, six by the time week one comes around. Who the hell knows? For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care. Everybody.